Enterprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days This representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast I'm your host, Matt Shittiman This is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there Who are working hard to get better While balancing running with the rest of their lives Today in the show we are talking to somebody who is not an amateur runner. We're talking to Andy Wacker, one of the best trail runners in the country. He predominantly does trails that are sub-ultra trail running, which I think uh, ultimately gets a little less shine uh, in the running media than some of our our ultra trail runner friends. Uh, But make no mistake about it, Andy Wacker is one of the best runners in the country. And that's just the way it goes. And I couldn't wait to talk to him. We actually did a live show at the Eugene Marathon because he ran Eugene um, just kind of a I wouldn't say a lark because he took it very seriously, but this is not normally his thing. Normally road running uh, is not what he's up to these days, but it was fun to talk to him about the experience and what he did to prep for it. But even more so, um, his conversion into trail running from uh, being a walk-on at CU Boulder and basically what what that was like for him and, and getting into it and really trying to embrace the trails from coming from more of the typical college runner mentality and background. And I t- I wanted to talk to him about that basically because so many people want to get into trails. They're not quite sure about it. And it was, it was fun to, to hear him talk about that, uh, that part of his running. And then we you know, progress and talk about his career as well. Anytime you get a chance to talk to somebody who is at the top of their field, it is always an enjoyable experience. And this was exactly that. And I could not thank Andy enough for being part of the show. So let's get into it with Andy Wacker. All right, we are here with Andy Wacker. Andy, thank you so much for joining me. You're welcome. Glad to be here. So we are in Eugene, Oregon, getting ready for the Eugene Marathon. Um, first of all, I don't know if you've been to Eugene before. This is my first time. This place is unbelievable. <laughs> I've seen so many runners. We saw a, a pancake racing a 5K today at 18 minute flat. So obviously, like you know, you know, race time is here. Yeah, it's great to be great to be in Eugene. It's fun to see uh, people walking around in running shoes. Makes me feel at home. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we're going to talk a lot about what you're doing in Eugene today and how it relates to your career choices, whether that's road racing, doing FKTs on trails, mountain racing, and, and the very choices you've made in your life. But going back further, when did it become apparent to you that? you know, a lifetime in running and running with some of the best runners in the world and, you know, beating a lot of the best runners in the world, that that was going to be potentially part of your future? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I started running when I was in seventh grade and I think it started just before that. Um, it's kind of a funny story. Probably a lot of people can relate to, but we had the like presidential physical fitness challenge in middle school. That was the best week of the year. I love that. (laughs) And, uh, so you have to run a mile, um, during that. And it always just kind of went surprisingly well and I liked it. And so the cross country coach for the middle school at that point was like, Hey, you should run. And it's kind of just snowballed since then. Do you remember your time? My, my, my best time ever for running was, was that. So it's all going downhill for me. Obviously you've had a very different running career. So what was, what was your experience? Oh, I don't, I don't remember my time. It was probably, I mean, who knows? It was like mismeasured around a soccer field or something, but <laughs> it was just fun to compete with the other kids. That's what I remember. Absolutely. So obviously that was your, the start for you. The cross country coach gets you involved. You run at Boulder. And obviously when you enter that, that program, you know, just becoming potentially a future pro, I would assume would be ingrained 
in the culture there, but how would you describe not just the college running experience, but running in a, in a program that's steeped in history and often pushes people into the pro running ranks at various points? Yeah, I think um, running at Colorado is like such a good experience. It's definitely a good way to develop athletes. And I think, actually, I don't know if it was ever like, we were never looking forward towards being a pro. I think it was more like we were in the moment and we were thinking about our team and how we could be the best team. Um, but Mark Wetmore also kind of develops people in a really like healthy way where it's like the bar is set very high, but also there's a lot of structure in place just to, to succeed. And, and the team when I was there was really supportive to, uh, cause I was, I was basically a walk on. <laughs> Um, and so it was really nice just to say, like, you know, the bar is very high, but you can get there and here's how. So why did you choose to go there as a, whether it was a walk-on or recruited walk-on? Obviously, being a part of that team uh, means that you're a highly accomplished runner at 18 years old. You must have had a bunch of choices of where you could go and not only run, but also do your academic work. Yeah, that's a good story, too, actually. Um, I think a lot of things are just luck in life. Um, so I was actually just really bored when I was going to be a, uh, in between my sophomore and junior year of high school. And I was like, you know, I need to find things to do over the summer. Um, later in life, this became the super summer fun list, which is a list of things to do when you don't have anything to do over the summer. Um, and so I was trying to find some activities and some jobs or something to, to fulfill my summer to make it worthwhile. And I found that there was a running camp in Boulder, Colorado, where I've never been. <laughs> um, so I signed up and, and I went and obviously I was like into running and excited about running at that point. But I spent a week in Boulder that summer. Um, yeah, and it just really captured my heart and attention. And so then obviously the, the years after that, I was like, I want to go to, to see you and I want to run there. So I did everything I could to, to get better and, and try to talk, talk to the people who were recruiting and, and get noticed. Now, so often we hear about college runners who, even ones who've had a really good high-level college career, who then graduate and just don't pursue running after college, whether they're burnt out from it mm -hmm. or they've kind of experienced all they need to experience and just want to expand in life. How did your Boulder experience set you up in a way that you would still want to continue to run, that your, your passion for it uh, continued to grow over time instead of kind of, you know, basically doing the opposite? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm going to go on a tangent here. All right. Uh, <laughs> because I was thinking about when you just asked this, and it was you were saying, when I was at CU, wasn't it like an obvious goal to become a pro? And I think when I was like a sophomore, junior at CU, um, I remember being like, oh, if I can break 14 minutes in the 5K, I'll, I'll have it made. Like, I'll be good. I'll be a pro. That's like the bar. Um, and that was back in 2008 or 2009. And it was a little bit more rare for someone to break 14. <laughs> and then I, uh, I broke 14, but so did like everyone in the NCAA at that point. And so in the, the two years between being a sophomore and being a, a senior, it was like, oh, what do I need to run to be a pro? And the bar in my head was uh, 14 flat. And then by the time I was graduating, I'd run uh, 1341. And I was like talking to people and I was like, what if I ran 1320? And they're like, I don't know if you'd get a contract. And so it kind of changed the, I think for the, in a good way, the, um, the running culture in the U.S. got a lot stronger. People were running faster times. There's just this huge wave of young runners that were doing really well. Um, 
and honestly, it was that was exciting too because being part of that was encouraging. And I'm a, I'm a person who doesn't want to be the best and look down and because it's boring if you're if you're doing the best. And definitely being I, the, I yearn for that boredom, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, being like the second best person on your team, or maybe like a little bit behind this goal of like what you think you need to make it makes you want that goal more is what I'm saying. Right. Okay. And so knowing I'd, I'd run 1341 and being like, well, if I run a little faster, that's like, that's what I need to be was so exciting. And so I think that was kind of what drove me to say, Hey, like I'm probably not ready to be this, like have it made big contract runner coming out of college, but I love running and I want to keep on pursuing it. And I know that I can get to that next, next level. Now, we know Boulder, especially now, is one of the epicenters of running culture in America. You have Boulder, you have Flagstaff, and they're like kind of 1A, 1B for a lot of people in that regard. When you were going to college there, was it that same sort of feel? And just what, what was your understanding of kind of like the outside running world compared to your team unit, which I know sometimes as a, as a college athlete, you can be so siloed into what your team in college is doing and not quite understand how it necessarily reflects or uh, compares to what, what people are doing on the outside. I guess you see that sometimes with Nazalite now being in Flagstaff and having similar like track workouts next to pros and how that may correspond with what they're doing. Yeah, totally. I think, um, you know, Boulder has and was and is a huge running spot. And there's tons of professionals training there when um, I was in college. But yeah, we were in our own little world and our own little bubble. And I think, um, honestly, we didn't even see pro athletes training very often um, in Boulder, which is kind of funny. I think everyone just does their own thing. Um, CU uses their, the track, the CU track. And uh, pro athletes were on the roads and those kind of things. And um, actually that's, that's kind of funny too, because Mark Wetmore, if you know anything about him would purposely go out of his way to make sure we would not be running in the same place as other people would be running. Um, so we would purposely drive like an hour outside of Boulder to go run on some dirt roads that were equally as good as dirt roads that were five minutes outside of Boulder. Um, and that was probably just to avoid people. So anyway, yeah, we were in our own little world a little bit. Um, and even though we were in Boulder. So when you were, when you were graduating and you're you know, pondering what you're going to do post-college, um, what were some of the athletes that you looked up to, like either the class ahead of you or in your class, and not even necessarily on your team, but just across the NCAA of like, okay, these are the, probably the people who are kind of the gold standard for running at you know, age 22, age 23, and how you might have stacked up to them at that point. Oh, man. Um yeah, you know, obviously, I think, like, graduating from CU, I was looking towards people like Dathan and Adam Goucher, who were, you know, a couple years older than me and definitely deep into the, the pro fields at that time. Um, so that was kind of exciting. But then, man, on a closer level, like, there's people like Aaron Braun, who's since retired, um, who is a Colorado runner in the area, who really supported me kind of my first year um, post-collegiately and... You know, honestly, like I was thrown into the fire right when I graduated because I was trying to run track again as someone who was probably not good enough to get a, a big contract. But I, I remember racing um, Oxy High Performance and running against like Mo Farah and Galen Rupp and some of these guys who were like lapping me in a 5K. Oh. Um, 
so yeah, you know, I was, I was looking towards those best, best athletes and just saying, I want to compete even whether I'm ready or not. So when did trails start to enter your consciousness, not only as maybe something fun to do, you know, when I'm not, you know, preparing for a track meet or something like that, but something that was really part of your future? Yeah, you know, I grew up in the sticks in North Carolina, and I, I've always loved the trails. Um, I don't think I ever thought about trail racing. Like, you know, I think I read about it and I was like, oh, there's these crazy guys like Dean Carnassius who's running like 100 milers. I remember reading about that when I was in high school, but... It was kind of never on my radar. And then, um, you know, I ran on the trails in Boulder for fun on easy days. And I think that should have been a sign like, hey, this is something I really enjoy. There's beautiful trails. They're like big, steep ups and downs, and you can really access them right from, from campus. And, and when you say trails, was it like more like dirt road style? Like how technical are we talking about? Like were you potentially risking your your season on, run, on running some of these trails? Oh yeah. Mark, Mark Wetmore would not have liked what I was doing if he knew about <laughs> it. Um, so like we, when, as a team, we ran on the like dirt roads that were really flat, but I went up on the, the hiking trails that, um, you know, back then we'd be like, Oh, don't believe your Garmin. It's, you're not actually running an 11 minute mile, but you are. Cause you're, you're running up like stone steps and things like that. Right. Um, and I do that at least once a week just cause it's beautiful and it's a cool spot to go to. So obviously that was a key key indicator for future success in terms of something that you were, you were passionate about. When did you enter your first trail race? Yeah. So, man, I don't remember exactly my first trail race per se, but what really accelerated, um, the whole process is again, like a lot of these weird events kind of just were in my life that like set me up for things that I wouldn't have expected, but so one of my first years post-collegiately, I was running a lot of road running and, um, I was just getting, getting into road racing with, uh, another guy named Jeff Eggleston, who is, uh, one of the best marathoners and he coaches me right now. Um, but anyway, we, we just got, we were training together. I just run rock and roll San Diego. So kind of a hilly, um, half marathon. And literally the day after I'm super just trashed from the race, my legs are hurting. And he's like, Hey, do you want to do a hill workout? And I was like, I don't think I can do a workout this week, but like maybe like, <laughs> um, and what he meant by a hill workout was running up Mount Evans in Colorado, which is, uh, a 14,000 foot mountain. And so there's this race called the Mount Evans ascent. And he wanted me to, to do that with him the next weekend. Um, and because I'm easily talked into things, I said, yes. Um, you know, maybe on Tuesday. So Monday I was like, no way. Tuesday I said, yes. Um, and I ended up winning that race and running really well. Um, Holy cow. (laughs) Yeah. And from there I, it was a qualifying race to make the U S team, um, to run, to represent the U S in the mountain running world championships. That was at Pikes peak. Mm -hmm. And that was in 2014. So that kind of just quickly accelerated this, like, why not? Here we go. I'm going to go run uphill. It seems like it really suits me. And, um, you know, I live and train kind of nearby, so that's going to be an advantage. So let's do it. So what about running uphill and running on that terrain does suit you? Like, how would you characterize that if someone was say, you know, talking to like a college runner comes to you and they're like, Hey, I'm thinking about these certain things. I looked at your experiences on the road and the track and I'm mean, the, the road and, and, and the mountains. And they're just trying to figure out like maybe their place. Um, when you say it suits you, what, how, what exactly do you mean by that? That's a hard question. Cause I think like, I think anyone can do it. Like a lot of people love running on the trails, run loving in the mountain, love running in the mountains because it's, it's just beautiful. 
but um, I think part of it is mental. Like, especially running uphill, something like Mount Evans, um, you have to be someone who is like a grinder. You're going to be like the domestique in the Tour de France. Mm. Someone who, who just like doesn't mind that it hurts and you're going really slow compared to a flat road race. Um, so I think that suited me because I was just a person who was, again, used to being like second place or something. And just like I didn't have that like, oh, I always win the race. So just put your head down and keep running. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that suited me. I was also naive. I think anyone who's naive, like if you don't know how bad it's going to hurt, go run up, up uh, Mount Evans or Pikes Peak. <laughs> because <laughs> it's so hard and painful um so it's a great race but it's just like yeah it's a, a lot of lungs and um it's kind of just being patient and and uh being able to deal with discomfort then obviously you have that success and i can see that you know at that point you must have decisions to make right because there's so many races that you can enter whether it's road races trail races of various lengths we'll talk about the difference between like the ultra trail scene sub ultra trail scene but what over the next decade or so, what was the, some of the decision-making processes that you were using just to decide which races you wanted to enter and then obviously the, the, the training that would correspond to those decisions? Yeah, so I just said yes to everything. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I raced like way too many races probably, um, which was fun and I kind of like learned from that. Um, so by now, you know, this year, it's like it had to get a little bit more dialed, like you're saying, because you do need specific training blocks to get ready for something like a road marathon or to get ready for a trail race that's really technical. Um, you do want to have a nice long build up to that. So by this point now, it's like I kind of have seasons and that kind of makes it interesting. It's fresh every year to, to switch gears between having a trail running season that lasts basically from June 1st until the end of the year till through December and then start over and kind of build some speed and do some road stuff um, or flatter races between January and June. So what are the benefits of racing a lot? And I say that because obviously we went through a period of time where there weren't any races, right? So some people right now, no matter what they're into from a running perspective, again, whether it's trail, road, track, or, you know, some confluence of all three, you know, I think people are just getting used to running and racing more. So while there are certainly times maybe you can over race, what are the benefits that you've seen in your career of taking on a lot of racing? Yeah, I think I race a lot more than other athletes. I think um, one, it just brings me joy. And I think it's fun for people who enjoy racing to race. So it's like a treat. It's like a way to um, just enjoy the sport in a way that you can't maybe on a lot, a long grind of, uh, tra- of training days. Um, the other thing is like for trail running, I think it's helped me race myself into shape or to kind of improve some skills because there's just risks and things that you wouldn't take on like a technical downhill that you wouldn't do unless you're racing. Um, so I think it's helped me to push, push my skills on, tr- on trail running specifically. Let's talk about skill development. Cause that's something that you don't necessarily have to acquire with road running, right? That's, it's a very different thing from a training perspective. So what are some of the skills that you've developed over time that you view maybe like as a strength of yours and then conversely, maybe a skill that you've worked on over time that you feel like at first, maybe compared to your peers, you weren't quite as strong at and how you were able to develop that into a strength? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I think trail running specifically has 
those components where you need the skill. And it's definitely on when it's either more technical, there's more stuff in the way, um, or the ground's weird. Um, or if you're on downhill, that's kind of the obvious ones. Um, because I think if you're going uphill or if it's more smooth, then it's more about your aerobic capacity, your like engine. Um, yeah. So for me, it's, it's a couple things. I think one thing is, is what you'd call like cross country, the cross country skill, which is like, who cares about your watch? Go by feel. It's kind of old school. That's what we did at Colorado all the time. Um, would be, you just have to think about like, what should your heart rate feel like? What should your breathing feel like when you're able to race for a 30 minute race? Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, like, Hey, this is something that's unsustainable for five minutes. Like I shouldn't be feeling that right now. Um, or if you're going up a hill, yeah, it's hard, but I will get over the hill. Um, so it's like a little hard to explain that, but I think it's just like knowing yourself and knowing what it feels like to push, um, and what is sustainable for like the time period you're running. So that's kind of the one, the one, one big skill is like this cross country mindset. Um, and then the second thing on technical downhills is like literally how do you move your body? Um, and that's, yeah, I, I wasn't that good at that starting off. Cause I was like a traditional, um, track and field and cross country runner. And especially as a U.S. athlete, that's like a deficit. Um, so like one race that comes to mind is I raced in rural China in 2017 and I was leading this race. It was roughly 20 miles and it was, um, if I'm going to remember correctly, it's something like 16 or 17 miles uphill and then a short little three mile downhill. And I was like, okay, all I have to do is get to the top first and then I'll be fine. So I run, um, on this technical trail, you know, through the, the Himalayas and through the snow and the, kind of these weird jungle things, um, in China. And I get to the top of this huge mountain pass where there's all these prayer flags and I'm like, oh yes, this is great. I'm in the lead, just a little downhill to go. And, um, so I start going down the downhill and this guy bombs past me, like leaping over metal stairs and like. <laughs> across like ravines and he beats me with like a mile to go or something um and it was this local i mean relatively local runner who's from nepal and the point was his downhill skills were incredible so sure i beat him on the uphill but he timed the race right and was able to beat me so how how were you able to get better at running downhills and conquer the fear that can be associated with that. Obviously, it's just, you know, the skill of developing downhill speed, I would, I would assume the corollary to that is also just, like, being willing to put yourself in that situation because it's, you know, it's not like just, like, hey, becoming a better uphill runner, it's the aerobic capacity, it's suffering, it's, it's pacing yourself correctly. Like, there's potentially a fear element with some of these downhill maneuvers. Yeah, totally. I think um, part of it's, yeah, part of it's, like, the fear is just if you think you're going to fall, you're going to fall. <laughs> so, uh, you can't think about it too hard. And should I not have asked this question? I feel like I'm saying, no, <laughs> no, it's great. Um, and for me, it's actually kind of different. I think it's different for different people. Um, I think there's a couple strategies that anyone can use. So I'll share those. And I think I've learned them over the years, but, um, one is, um, it's kind of like, just imagine you're like a tank. And so that's actually the strategy I've used more recently, which is like, just run over it. And I actually, I think I learned that from this guy, Alex Nichols, who's a good trail runner oh, from yeah, Colorado Springs and has done really well at Western States. But um, it's like, you're running down a trail and there's a big rock in your way, run on top of it. Like just go over it 
and don't like it's more about going in a straight line over any terrain instead of thinking about maneuvering around things. So it's very blunt, like just up and over, um, leaping over stuff rather than than worrying about turning. Um, and why I bring that up too is like that, I think that suits me better. Like some people have like very athletic backgrounds and maybe they're like shorter and they can like stop on a dime. Um, I'm like have that road running background where it's like I can get going very fast, but I'm more of a rhythm runner. I'm a little bit taller and like I can't stop on a diamond turn. Like I will fall if I try to do that. And I've um, it was funny. I was just talking to, to Garrett Heath, who's new to trail running. And I was telling him about this, too. Like it's almost a deficit if you're really fit on trails when you're first learning to go downhill because you'll go too fast and you'll run off the trail like you won't be able to make a turn because you're, you're going four minutes a mile and you're not used to turning 90 degrees when you're going four minutes a mile. And so you'll get, you'll run off the trail into the trees. Um, so anyway, the kind of the, like the tank strategy might work better for those kind of people. I love that. I had a conversation with Dylan Bowman about this exact same topic. And this is one of the reasons that he's, he loves having like athletes that come into running from other sports because it develops that, like that lateral movement where trail running is not is kind of anathema to the road running background that some people come in with that provides them with some of the, the foundational stuff early on that maybe um, other people have to work on. Let's talk about what you're doing now. So you're here, you're at Eugene looking for the OTQ. Um, 2021 was an unbelievable year for you. You had like this great post about like basically listing all the things that you had done in 2021, but also talking about, hey, it wasn't I also had four months of not running at all. So kind of the highs and lows that come with it. And in the intro, we listed all of those things. So as you're coming out of this great year, the vast majority of which was trail running, how do you then, and you're working with your coach, get ready for this big goal of the OTQ, which is very different than the racing you did in the previous year? Yeah, it's been hard. It's been a little scary, to be honest, because, yeah, I came, I'm still coming back from this Achilles injury that I've had last year. And I know I'm behind because I didn't run all last summer. I like rode my bike a little bit. (laughs) Um, And so I think the goal was just to stay healthy and be consistent because in the fall I was faking it on a lot of trail races where I would run two days a week and race one day of the week, um, which is like not healthy. And, uh, but it was fun and it it happened. Um, And that was all I could physically do. Um, so yeah, I think the main goal is trying to be smart and be like a good normal professional runner or or someone that a lot of people could emulate, which is just being consistent, getting your easy days in, getting workouts in, um, even if they're not a plus workouts, it's better to have a C workout once a week than to have an a plus workout once a month. And how have, how's your training changed? Maybe just start with like where you're running. Like, are you running the places that you had in previous years? Or are you more on dirt roads and pavement? How has that changed? Oh yeah. So, um, I mean, switching from trails to roads, I think, uh, trails, I think it's smarter to use something like time, time on feet to so say, I'm going to go for an hour run rather than I'm going to go for an eight mile run. Um, and that's just because the, the terrain's so different and like, maybe that gives you like you're not worried about hitting certain splits if you can't or don't need to. And that way you can take it easy when you need to. Um, for road running, I train just like most other professional road racers, I would say. So it's like going by mileage, um, running on flat, easy surfaces as much as I can, um, you know, doing workouts 
it's a little different in Boulder because you do workouts on dirt roads, which is kind of funny, um, which maybe a lot of people do, but it's definitely a little bit slower um, at altitude on dirt roads in the wind rather than uh, on the pavement, hopefully, here in Eugene. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, with so many runners in Boulder, have you, you do you work out with other people? How, do you, how does basically the, the running social scene affect your training and whether you embrace it or you have to kind of push away from it to kind of do your own thing? Yeah, it's been hard on two fronts. I think one is um, I work full time. I'm a teacher. And so a lot of times I'm just getting out whenever I can, whether that's at six in the morning or if it's um, at my lunch break or, or something like that. So a lot of times I'm doing workouts by myself, which um, it's, you know, it has a lot of challenges with that. Um, the other difficulty, or maybe there's three, I guess. So working full time is always hard to, to schedule with other, to, with other runners. Boulder's unique where a lot of people have different coaches and different plans. And, you know, there's so many good runners in Boulder and it's so hard to, to coordinate with people, um, I found, unfortunately. So I wish the, the Boulder culture could be a little bit more conducive to like meeting up. Um, but a lot of people just are very particular about their training um, on the professional end. Um, so that's been a challenge too. But then I would say on the positive side, um, I run every Sunday run with like a group of guys that I run with, whether uh, I'm doing trails or, or roads. And a lot of times we're just doing a traditional Sunday flat road long run um, in the morning. All right. Let's talk about fueling strategy for the race. You've run a lot of different races, a lot of different lengths. What's your fueling strategy for Eugene? Yeah. So for me, I found out that um, I prefer to have obviously something with calories in it and um, so usually I don't like taking gels or something like that. I usually want to take, uh, like a liquid. Um, so for, uh, Eugene, um, uh, this time I'm just going to take what's on the course. So they have, I think it's, uh, like a, a noon with what's called noon endurance. Yeah. Um, but they have it like every two miles. And so I think there's something to that. Um, I'm kind of a science nerd in a little bit. Um, and so if you look into that, like the best thing is to get like a liter of water every hour. Um, so that breaks down to something like maybe every 15 minutes you need to get, um, you know, like 10 ounces or eight ounces of, of, of drink mix. So, well, Andy, good luck on Sunday, wishing you the best. And thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Andy, thank you so much for coming on the show. Go follow Andy. He has a whole summer's worth of races ahead of him. Uh, he's a fun guy to follow over on Instagram. He doesn't post a ton, but when he does post, it's always worthwhile. And you know, just go follow the trail runners, right? I mean, so many of us follow the road runners, uh, especially now, right? Where you have a lot of the, not, I wouldn't say now, but it's so easy to follow uh, some of the road runners when it's the elite level track season's going on. So you see some of the people who we often notice in road running will be running, say, the 5,000 or the 10,000 over on the track, just like the Prefontaine Classic this past weekend. Uh, and, you know, so a lot of those summer races on the track will happen as we progress through the summer. Then it starts getting back into marathon season where so many people who listen to this show follow the major marathons and the major marathoners, which is always a fun thing. But don't forget our, our other friends who are doing other races, other events, and on other surfaces. They're are also doing amazing things and it kind of can illuminate stuff for us, right? There's no, there's nothing that says that we have to run on roads as well or for running on trails, nothing to say that we can only run on trails, right? There's, there's so many opportunities and Andy showed us that today in this episode. Thank you so much, Andy, for coming on and thank you 
for listening to the Rambling Runner podcast. I hope you have a great day and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.